Hello and welcome to Animalia, the podcast all about animals. And the weird and interesting things that they do. I'm Farley. I'm Annie. And I'm David. And today we're talking about COVID-19. And specifically, how it might be affecting wildlife in good ways. This is our our happy podcast. Our good COVID-19 podcast. All good news stories. By far my favorite part about COVID-19 and quarantine has been the fact that of all the things I've noticed, every single per- the thing I've noticed the most is people are asking me about birds constantly. Whether it's hearing more birds or seeing more birds or asking me to identify a specific bird, it seems as if everybody's talking about birds. So that's Farley's version of heaven, just getting to talk about birds all the time. It's my absolute heaven. <laughs> Even friends in San Francisco have been asking me constantly to ID things, whether it's a nest or it's a bird or it's a bird eating something or everything related to birds, feathers. I've been asked constantly about all these different things throughout COVID. That's really nice. And I think one of the coolest projects I've seen is there's this project by a group in Germany called Biotopia. And what they did was that throughout from May 1st to May 31st, they collected sound recordings from citizens, from really anybody who wanted to send them in, of bird calls um, around dawn course. That's from the you know, an hour after dawn, start of dawn to an hour afterwards. And they've compiled it into a website that you can go on to yeah it's an amazing database it's just got all these recordings of the dawn chorus all these bird songs from all around the world including australia we've checked out local neighborhood did you say you found one from like right near where you used to live there's one from uh, three blocks away from my mom lives now there's also another spot where um and where i used to grow up and also there's a spot in the middle of san francisco maybe four or five blocks away from where i lived there for about three years so it's very cool and so in order to honor that throughout this podcast, we'll be playing little snippets of bird dawn courses that have been recorded on this platform throughout the last month. Yeah, it's super cool. It's like traveling in bird song. Exactly. That's a very pretty way to think about it. <laughs> so one reason why it was a good time to start trying to record all these bird songs is because it's a lot quieter than usual. In a lot of places, there's less traffic, less people moving around, not so many planes in the sky. So an unusually silent backdrop to hear all of these bird songs. Yeah, and for us, it's really nice because we get to hear these beautiful bird calls, but for birds, it's also really nice. And the reason why is that people don't really think about that often is that noise pollution presents a problem for birds, and that's that they're masked. So whether they're singing too low and a motorcycle goes by, they can't actually hear them, or they're singing too high and say higher frequency sounds kind of come by like an ambulance. Oftentimes in cities, bird calls are completely masked by the noises that are around them. And so... If you're a attractive male trying to impress a female and she can't hear you, you're not gonna get any, you're not gonna get lucky. Yeah, I find this idea kind of interesting too because I think it really depends on where you are in the world. Like around here, it's been a little bit quieter at some times of day, but it's still we live near a major road and there's still a lot of people driving through. And yeah, I'd be interested to hear some of the measurements as well too of how much it has changed in different places. Yeah, I know where I live. It's been kind of actually kind of surprising how quiet it's been. Yeah, Especially okay. like we I live off a main road in the middle of Coburg, which is a suburb of Melbourne, and it's been pretty much empty compared to what it used to be. Like even commuting, when I would commute to a spot, which would be going a couple of kilometers, no matter what time of day, we're talking minutes compared to tens of minutes. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's not just animals on land that are benefiting from reduced noise. 
people might not think about it quite so much, but there's also a lot of noise in the ocean. Yeah, I think it's something people forget about a lot is that oceans are actually completely full of noise pollution, whether it's ships or you know, submarines or whatever. It noise is carries really long and farther in the ocean. So it actually carries a lot farther than it does and it's much louder in the ocean. And so animals such as whales are really um, stressed by the amount of noise pollution that there is under the water. And whales communicate super long distances as well, right? Yeah, it's super interesting. And um, there's been a few studies on this, but for instance, um, humpback whales singing off the coast of the Caribbean or it's in the Caribbean can actually be heard by other humpback whales who are 4,000 miles away in Ireland. So it's one of those things where whales actually have certain depths they travel to with certain frequencies that they communicate literally across oceans. But when you add a couple of submarines and sonar and fish detectors and all that different clutter, all the different noise that's out there, they can't actually do it. So this this period of COVID has actually been kind of a nice break for them. At least we think and we imagine, but... Yeah, that's crazy. That's just a crazy distance to be communicating. And I think the other thing too, which I mean, this applies throughout today's podcast, but a lot of the things we're talking about and speculating about, this is research that I think like we mentioned in our previous episode, it's going to come out maybe in months to a year from now that we'll actually have data on how some of these things have happened. Okay, I want the I want all the information now, but unfortunately, I know. To wait. <laughs> this is the only problem with the peer-reviewed journals. It's you have to all wait for the information to come out. Yeah. But it could potentially be really interesting. Super interesting. All right, so we've talked a bit about noise pollution. So I guess we can go into some of the other kinds of pollution. What other kinds of pollution are there, Annie? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Farley. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so another thing that I've been thinking about a bit is air pollution. So with fewer cars, cars on the road, like we mentioned before, it's not just a reduction in noise, but it's a reduction in all the fumes that cars put out into the world. Yeah, if you've seen photos, they're kind of it's actually startling. Some of the photos that have come out of places like Beijing, I mean, places like LA and New York, but also even Melbourne, like the clarity of the skies and the air. It's kind of shocking how much clearer the sky is without major, major traffic. It's one of those things you only realize what you're missing when you actually get to see it. I think there were reports in some places of India too, people saying they could see the Himalayas from their homes for the first time and like, yeah. It's crazy. Mine's like a very minor experience, but I saw Melbourne with Caitlin and I were on a walk and we saw Melbourne. It's like, wait, it's this clear from where we are? And it was just a perfectly, (laughs) it could have just been a really clear day, but it was just shocking how crystal clear the air was. That's so good. It's quite nice. Yeah, there's been some data on that now already, actually. So in March this year, NASA recorded that air pollution levels in northeast United States were 30% lower on average than in recent previous years. There's also been a couple of studies published um, finding that, in particular, nitrogen dioxide pollution over northern China, western Europe and the US decreased as much as 60% in early 2020 compared to the same time last year. 60%? Yeah. Yeah, that's scary. That's so much. Yeah. I mean, this is meant to be a good news podcast, but I feel like it's also kind of, it's the flip side, isn't it? It's, this is all the stuff that goes wrong the rest of the time that we take for granted. That's that's just how things are. Well, and it's also the kind of the hopeful thing where if you, if we were to commute less, if we could work from home a little bit more, if you can kind of switch your schedule from, you know, 
part-time in the office, part-time at home. Like we could actually make a massive difference in air quality. That's true. Yeah, that's really true. So there's some underlying good in there. So one animal that is benefiting from reduced air pollution is one of David's favorite animals. <laughs> <laughs> the winner of our game. Yeah. I think I have a few favorite animals on this podcast now. I think it's ducks and bees. If we're ever talking about ducks and bees, we go to David. Yeah. Is there um, <laughs> well, in this case, it is bees. So, um, yeah, they're definitely benefiting um, wild bees, that is. Uh, less cars, less traffic, as we're saying, less air pollution, which is really benefiting them because the air pollution does mask um, the scent of the flowers that they that they need. It's what they do. They're bees. Um, yeah, they don't have to spend as much time looking for them. I was reading too that the air pollutants can actually change the chemical composition of the flower scents, which I found really interesting. And so wow, that, that's nuts, actually. Yeah, and the other thing that air pollution can do. Um, so so the, the stuff about um, how air pollution can affect the chemical composition of scents of flowers and um, can make it more difficult for insects to find them, that's research published in 2016 led by scientists from the Pennsylvania State University. So this is something we already know about how air pollution can affect bees. And there was also another study published last year that showed that air pollution can affect bees' ability, bees ability to learn and remember different types of odors. Bees are actually pretty smart. They are pretty smart. Yeah, it's actually to have so air pollution affecting their cognitive abilities is. Yeah. I guess that's scary to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of scary that we can alter you know, the brain function of an animal just from driving cars around. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense if you're breathing an exhaust. I don't think I'd learn as well. Let's maybe get a little high, maybe more creative. Different side of your brain works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously bees are important pollinators. So anything that's bad for bees is just bad. bad for, and bad for business. Yeah. Bad yeah. for everything. Yeah. We like bees. <laughs> um, kind of what we're talking about um, noise pollution, air pollution where obviously we're tying a lot of this to cars another interesting article I've read about this was the fact that animals are being struck less and so it's kind um, of around the world It's since people are driving less, animals are being struck a lot less and the cutest example I saw was that uh, throughout the UK that roadkill is down by two thirds for hedgehogs and so little oh. hedgehogs are surviving, they're crossing across roads and so it's this whole thing where they, they've even looked into the idea, like, is it just people are out and about less, they don't notice it, but they think that because people are actually doing more hikes and actually around roads more often taking walks and sidewalks, they think this actually could be real and hedgehogs are benefiting from no cars right now. Yay. Go the hedgehogs. Yeah, they're super cute. Just little hedgehogs everywhere. Aww. They're going to hate when cars come back on the road, but for now, I know. they're happy little <laughs> hedgehogs. <laughs> All right. Another type of pollution that we haven't talked about yet is light pollution. So that refers to the way that artificial light at night has just completely transformed our environment. And we've been meaning to do an entire episode on this forever. And one day we will, but that is not this day. It's not, it's not today. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this is, this is an interesting one because we know from previous research that light at night can disrupt timing of behavior, sleep, movements of animals, which has an um, effect on everything from memory to cognition to health to pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting emerging field, I think. It's sort of been more and more research over the, on that over the last like 10 years. 
But at this stage, it's not completely clear how COVID-19 has been affecting light pollution. So there's been some anecdotes in some places where it seems darker. I know that I was driving last week and we were driving through the city and it had this moment of feeling like something was different and weird and just realised it just felt darker than usual just driving through the CBD. I think there were, maybe maybe I was imagining it, but it felt like there were fewer lights on in the towers. It just felt, yeah, darker. Maybe just like your research brain kicking on, being like, I could study this. This is a research <laughs> yeah, opportunity. I, I wonder if I could pitch the city of Melbourne to study this. Oh, I really <laughs> wish we'd had like light loggers out in the environment. I'm sure other people have done this, but... Could have had them yeah. on the swans. That'd been cool, actually. Oh, it would have been so cool. Yeah, yeah. Because some of my research is at um, Albert Park Lake, where there's a population of black swans, and I can imagine it must be much darker there right now because it's surrounded by a road, so there'd be fewer cars on the road, so fewer headlights. There's a restaurant, a sports stadium, and um, an event centre, which all would emit a heap of light, and there'd be less light from those as well. They just wouldn't even be in use at the moment. Yeah, all the sports fields and stuff. So. I actually did not think about the sports fields. There's so many around that lake. Yeah, that's, yeah. Some of the brightest lights are from those. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a bit too too early to know for sure whether light pollution has been really reduced much on a large scale during COVID. Yeah, measurements of light pollution can also be a bit confusing. So in an interview for Forbes magazine, John Barentine, who's from the Arizona-based International Dark Sky Association, he noted that with reduced air pollution, cities can actually look brighter in the images taken by satellites, even if they aren't brighter on the ground, which is quite interesting. So it can be hard to get a good good feel for, for what's happening on a global scale in terms of light pollution. Oh, there have also been some cool citizen science projects involving light pollution, which is kind of I mean, I'm getting a bit off the animal stuff here, but I guess it relates to animals because it's how we measure what might affect them. But there was um, this project led by the Italian National Research Council called Science on the Balcony, where more than 6,000 Italians recorded light on their balconies to see basically how much light from the street was trespassing into their homes. That flows so nicely into the singing Italians as well on their balconies. Because that yeah. was the whole idea about, about uh, all the Italians kind of gathering around and their the apartment buildings were all singing together. Yeah. And to have that as well as them participating in a light experiment too. That's awesome. Yeah, super nice. There's also um, next week on the 21st, which will be before this episode comes out, but the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance are going for a Guinness World Record for most users to take an online environmental sustainability <laughs> I'm going to try that one more time <laughs> the Australasian dark skylines are also going for the Guinness world record for most users to take an online environmental sustainability lesson in 24 hours so basically they're trying to get everyone online at once to take uh, a little test about light pollution to raise awareness and then take a measurement of the sky outside their home to get this massive global map of of the light that people are actually experiencing which is kind of cool that's super dorky citizen science oh it's so good take, though and take, I, take take a quiz take a <laughs> quiz and then go measure something <laughs> i like it yeah 
And they've timed it for the darkest night of the year, which is the 21st of June. So this episode will come out after that's done. So it'll be interesting to see where they manage to hit the record. Yeah, I mean, we can, we can come back and record the results for this. We can. You can. <laughs> so you guys will hear it right here. We'll put the results of it right here. Yeah, you definitely won't be able to find them anywhere else. No. Nope. Uh, do you think a lot of people are going to be looking up the darkest night of the year at Guinness Book of World Records? I mean, that's the whole point of a record. <laughs> it's a very niche record for a person who studies light. Nah. nah. It's all about the citizens. It's all about- Don't you go bad-mouthing the Guinness World Record for the most uses to take an online environmental sustainability lesson in 24 hours. Ah! <laughs> got better at saying that. Got so much better. <laughs> um, okay. Stepping back a bit from pollution, I mean, the main reason for pollution is us, people. And one of the biggest things about quarantine is people are just kind of not around anymore. Yeah, everyone's indoors not traveling as much and so there's just less human disturbance of just actually people being out there yeah the fact that you know national parks around the world were closed which kind of gives free reign to the animals in places they never would have had rain uh rains too (laughs) (laughs) rain rain no free reign to the animals that once we're not allowed free free reign's the word free reign yeah it's free range that's Free rain is also Similar a thing. Bit. Yeah, free rain is fine. But rain, is it rain then? Yeah, no. I think it's just the way you said it was I was weird. correct then. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, animals are now going in areas where people once were too often occurring in. So you have, especially in national parks and national forests around the world, you have less people, which means the animals now can kind of move around on streets and roads are once crowded, camping grounds, all the places that humans would be normally. Now animals are allowed to roam in. Yeah. There's been some cool examples of animals coming to cities, which you touched on a bit in the last episode. But There's some very new cool one was back in my old hood in um, Russian Hill of San Francisco. There actually was a mountain lion scene, which I cannot even imagine the last time I there just... was a mountain lion because the hill it was seen on, I used to walk putty, my dog off leash every single night in my bare feet, just going around and there was a mountain <laughs> lion just hopping around there. How big are mountain lions? Uh, so I actually have experience. I've caught one before. So oh. That's a brag, humble brag. But actually, just, it's a full brag. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, the one we caught was 160 pounds, so about 70 kilos. Oh, yeah. Big. Yeah, they're big animals. Their paws are just like dinner plates. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's kind of You'd t- get a fright seeing one of those just walking about. I imagine if it saw you, it would be so horrified that it probably would just look like a scared <laughs> cat and just sprint off. I don't think they would be... Very menacing. I think they'd be much more terrified. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, there was actually a study in 2017 where researchers played recordings of people talking over loudspeakers and they found that cougars in Northern California would, like, abandon their kills before they had enough meat to eat. So they, yeah, definitely backing up what you just said, that they're probably more afraid of us than... Yeah, it's nuts. Like we always think these animals are out to get us, but in reality, yeah, the fact these that just recordings—not even people being present, just recordings of people talking—is enough. And they're like, "Oh, gotta go. Not safe here." I actually have another cougar story. Yeah. So where I lived in Western Washington, the guy I lived with and the guy who hired me—he had this nice little house. And this guy, uh, while I was working with wildlife, this guy worked in the budget department and hated animals. Just not a fan. It's very much so a city boy who lived down in the wilderness, and. One night he was taking out his garbage and there was a mountain lion 
who had made a kill at the end of his driveway and was eating it in his driveway. (laughs) (laughs) So he left the garbage cans, went back inside, came out the next morning, saw the kill, tried to drag it away a bit, but just left it. And then for the next week, every single night, the animal was just out there feasting on it. (laughs) So he didn't leave his house for a week. He would drive his car into his garage, get out, and get back in the morning in his car and drive away. (laughs) He was too terrified to ever go outside again. And people think Australia is the dangerous country to go to. I know, we don't have big to. predators. Yeah. No big predators here. No, so much scary. Yeah, mountain lion, so much scary. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, really dumb question. But mountain lions, pumas, cougars, all the same thing? And catamount, yeah, all the same thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So the way that fear drives animal behavior and physiology sometimes referred to as the landscape of fear as in animals stick near safe places and avoid risky ones and so there was a good article by scientific american um that talked with a researcher dr liana zanet who works on this topic and yeah it was really interesting she was talking about how what we're seeing now essentially with animals being found in places where we wouldn't normally see them that's essentially landscape of fear in action yeah yeah, because there's another really interesting <clears throat> paper that came out a few years ago, um, and it's a project they did all throughout Colorado, kind of the same thing. Uh, Utah, sorry. In Utah, and it was the same idea where they actually just created an artificial road with just noise throughout a forest landscape. Yep. And just having the presence of this fake road would cause birds that were migrating to stop. So some birds could pass over, some birds would stop for a small period of time, and other ones refused to cross this fake road. Wow. Because they were terrified enough of the noise to just remain away. So you can imagine, yeah, these animals who have been exposed to traffic on a daily basis, you know, people wandering around on a daily basis, all of a sudden, we can do whatever we want. It's like, I can cross <laughs> that road finally, you know? I can, I can hop into this lake where there people are usually swimming around. Yeah. Yeah, another interesting study by um, Liana Zanet, again, who also did the study with the cougars. She found that European badgers were more scared of people than of dogs and bears so if you played sounds of bears and dogs then the badgers would hide for a bit but then eventually they'd be like oh i'm hungry and then come out but if it was sounds of people playing constantly they just never came out yeah. so we are scary yeah it's kind of it's amazing how we've changed like the evolution of these creatures to fear bipedal animals because <laughs> i know that there is a thing if you like kind of go trail hiking if you're on a horse you end up seeing more because they're less afraid of a horse say than they are oh, of so a person walking and that's why like even polar bears for instance one of the only animals they consider to actually hunt humans because it's so little interaction for so long mm. that polar bears see humans like oh yeah that looks delicious like that thing's <laughs> small and weak and i can eat that but you don't find i mean lion attacks on humans are super rare you know tiger yeah. attacks pretty damn rare but that yeah it's funny mm. It's good at negative, negative reinforcement we've taught these animals. Don't get close to us or else bad things happen. We are risky. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there are some exceptions to all of this as well. Like some places have actually gotten busier during lockdown and self-isolation stuff. So like that thing where everyone is walking their dog many, many times a day and everyone's going for jogs with all the gyms closed. Like the park around the corner from here has just been the busiest I've ever seen it over the last few months it's just so crazy busy yeah it's been super annoying for me because i do really enjoy to actually take my dog alone on walks and now it's always a few dogs are around or a couple people are always around talking on their cell phones just something yep and i can't imagine now where you are it's the 
one of the largest parks yeah. in Melbourne. Yeah. Yep. Seen jokes too about like, you know, government stay inside, only go outside for exercise. And then people who have never exercised since 1992 can just image of like just mass crowds of people going running. <laughs> I guess one positive side of this though um, is that the fact that these animals have so quickly moved into spaces where you didn't see them before kind of shows that they can bounce back quickly. So if you reduce disturbance somewhere, it's not like that place is just permanently off limits. If you make space, they will come. Yeah, it's like the that great scene in I Am Legend where they have the the deer going through the middle of was it like Central Park? No, it's not Central oh, Park. Yeah, middle of like what Times Square, mm-hmm. hopping through the cars. You're like, oh, that's so cool. But in reality, it's like no, the animals do emerge when we kind of go away a bit. Yeah, when left to their own accord, they will come back. So we should abandon cities, is what you're saying. Yep, get up and move. Just get up and move. I mean, yeah, <laughs> just leave leave Melbourne. <laughs> I don't know how you could move that many people out of the city without like inadvertently creating a new city with all the people oh, in them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the desert. There's like nothing there, right? Hmm. <laughs> all the desert species will be fine. <laughs> so back to birds. Um, what I've really enjoyed reading about is just the number of people that have been bird watching. Now we talked about it briefly earlier, but there actually are more people bird watching now. And I think they've realized because it's just a, boredom thing but it seems as if people finally are taking to it i see it as they're probably actually not but there could be another (laughs) group of people slowly realizing that bird watching is the greatest sport (laughs) in the in the world and to kind of epitomize that there is an annual event called the global big day and this year they had set the single day record recording 6,479 species around the world so that's on May 9th. And for one day, the so people crazy. all around the world saw species and they saw 6,479. And I believe there's just over, was it 10,000 in the entire world? So really? I've seen... Most. Sorry? Seen most. Most of them. We saw, yeah, we saw the majority <laughs> of the birds in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like two, almost two thirds. More than two thirds. Wait, yeah. wait, there's only, I guess I thought there were more types of birds in the world. How many birds are in They're the They're roughly world? between nine and 10,000 species. So we saw a majority of the birds in one day around the world, which is so cool if you think about it. I like we. I had no no part in this. But. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> but we live in Melbourne and we couldn't travel far. So let's be honest. Someone someone can go into Princess Park and see all the ones we could have seen. It's true. It's not our fault. Yeah. We helped in other ways. We talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> Spreading the word of the bird. But yeah, but it's been really kind of fun reading through it, though, about people and a bunch of different... Um, primarily New York Times, but a lot of different news uh, articles have come out about people sitting in their house, using binoculars for the first time, watching their bird feeders, watching their backyards, noticing nesting birds nearby. I've noticed that with friends too, just like little tiny things. It's been very nice to see. Yeah. I mean, kind of nice seeing too, even some of my friends who are already into birds, taking a bit more time to just watch the birds near home as well, rather than, you know, going on these big expeditions to go see them. It's just like, oh, what did I see in my backyard today? It's kind of, I don't know, something kind of wholesome. Yeah, backyard birding. It's nice. Yeah. You should know what's around you. It's good to know what's around you. <laughs> you appreciate it more. Good rule in life. Yeah. Is that all we have to say? I think that's all we have to say. I mean, that's all some pretty good things. Nothing too bad. Nothing too bad. So despite COVID being bad, there were some good things. 
And then next episode, we'll get to talk about all the bad things. All the horrible, horrible things. <laughs> so everything we just said, we may turn negative next week or yeah. next time. But this has been nice. So for quarantine, this is Farley. And this is Annie. Do we do, we do outros now? Like I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like the idea. <laughs> I don't know. And David no, was also yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's our podcast on good things that happen in quarantine. For animals. And some things for humans. That's true. Like bird watching. It's good for you. More bird watching. It's like vitamin C. Take, take a little bit every day. Lessons from Farley, the bird watcher. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for, li- for... I tried to say listening and joining at the same time and it didn't work. Thank you for joining us if it's your first time and listening if it's not your first time. Well, you'd have to listen to join. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay so the other day when i was wandering with putty and caitlin um i came across a bird i'm going to show you a picture of the bird you guys tell me what this is it is i don't know what that is david wait this was in melbourne so yes this is around around the corner from my house okay Looks a lot like a turkey. It is me. a turkey. <laughs> so in the middle, um, in the middle of Melbourne. Okay. So for some odd reason, the American came across an American turkey, which is one not an animal you find even in grocery stores that often because people don't eat a lot of turkey here. Very but coincidental, Father. It's very coincidental, <laughs> but there is a wild turkey on the middle of this lake that's on its own little island in Coburg, understand. which makes absolutely no sense. So either it escaped. Well, one, either it's the rarest bird ever and flew from the States, even though they only do short, small uh, bouts of flight. So that could be possible. Or, or someone had a pet turkey that they released. Or it escaped from a turkey farm. Anyway, it's hilarious. I think escape from, my, from a turkey farm is my favorite explanation. This, is, this turkey we, is just like... Do we have turkey farms? They for sure do. Yeah, they do sell turkey here. I have no idea. Yes, we have turkey. Yeah, because I, I buy turkey. We have farms, though, for the turkey. Well, yeah, where for, where you else have do to. they come from? No, no, they have. <laughs> well, yeah, what else would they have? <laughs> In Melbourne. I think they probably they do, because I know you can buy, like, I buy turkey every Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is getting sidetracked so quickly. There we go. Um, turkey farms in Australia. There are a ton of them. Yeah. Okay. I stand correct. <laughs> I like the idea of a person having turkeys, the pets, and this is just an escape pet. And the guy's really sad about it. Like, my turkey's gone. No, that's not happy. Why well, don't Someone's going to find it. That one's not, actually, I've not reported this, but someone's going to see a turkey. You'd hope. <laughs> but I also just like that you like have like a bin chicken, which is like also this ginormous bird that's in Australia. It's an ibis. Nice. And you have a turkey following it. I'm sure he's like, finally, another large <laughs> bird that's like me. Because turkeys would be huge Aww. compared to most other like birds where they fish their, their habitat. I can't believe it's just walking around next to a pond. That's ridiculous. I'm going to go. I actually didn't look today. I was at work all day, but I'm going to look tomorrow. See if I can find him. Anyway, that's the podcast. Bye. <laughs> Animalia Podcast is hosted by Annie Allsbrook and Farley Connolly, with occasional interjections by me, the sound engineer, David Roker. Our logo is designed by Osvaldo Branklin-Yaw, and all original music is by Sean Pratt.